scripture reading this morning be from Exodus chapter 19, verses 14 through 17. And that's in the Pew Bible, page 67. Exodus 19, verses 14 through 17. <clears throat> I'll be reading in the Common English Bible. So Moses went down the mountain to the people. He made sure the people were holy and that they washed their clothes. He told the men, prepare yourselves for three days. Don't go near a woman. When morning dawned on the third day, there was thunder, lightning, and a thick cloud on the mountain, and a very <clears throat> loud blast of a horn. All the people in the camp shook with fear. Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their place at the foot of the mountain. Hey, good morning. That's loud. <laughs> hey, good morning. Let's try that again. Good morning. That's great. It is good to see you guys. Isn't it great outside today not to see rain, at least for a little while? I love rain, but it's nice when it stops, right? Just ask Noah. He was excited. I'm thankful to be here this morning. Uh, I'm thankful for Craig and Brianna and that they have a new baby who is here safely and that Brianna is doing well. Uh, proud for him and for both of them and uh, excited for our co-workers uh, that their little family has grown and is doing well. Uh, it is good to see the progress in the auditorium. It's, it's kind of reminds me of like, uh, it, it's kind of confusing in here. You've got half of the carpet done and half that's not quite yet. It's, it's almost like uh, in the 80s when it was popular to wear a sports coat and a t-shirt at the same time. It's like really a strange little combination here. Uh, but, I, but I am excited about the progress that's been made. Uh, there's a lot of great things going on here at Mount Juliet, and I'm excited that you're here this morning uh, to be a part of that. If you're a guest, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it is encouraging to us that you're here. And if you're looking for a church home, a church family, we hope that you find it right here with us. Let's pray this morning as we begin our lesson. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you that we could come together this morning as your people uh, to worship you. I pray that we would learn something this morning that would help us be more faithful. And uh, Lord, we are grateful for Craig and Brianna Evans and uh, Ezekiel who's been born and uh, we just pray your blessings on their new family. We're grateful, Lord, that we get to be a part of your family. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. A long time ago, before a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, a young George Lucas had a little bit of a problem. How would he communicate all of these grand, huge ideas in his mind for the Star Wars franchise? and translate the big grand ideas onto a screen? How would he put all the ideas in his mind before a live audience? What would that look like? For instance, how would he take a character like Han Solo and communicate the things that he wanted the audience to know about this character just on a screen? Well, what you probably would realize about him and his style is that there's some things, even in his style, that fit his persona. For instance, uh, if you know anything about Han Solo, you know that he's the ultimate outlaw, right? 
you know that he uh, doesn't play by the rules, and so is decided to model his look after a, a rugged kind of loner cowboy from the Old West. You can see it in the way that he wields and carries uh, his blaster. You can see it in uh, the style of his outfits, the, like the cream-colored shirt that he's wearing is still a popular uh, shirt that you can find at, at stores that sell Western apparel today. Even the, the vest fits the style of the Old West, and he does. He looks like a, an old cowboy. Luke Skywalker's costume communicates some things about that character. When you look at him, you see a constant contrast between the darkness and the light. And throughout the series, you'll see that his costume is either white or black. And it creates this image of maybe this man is the hope of the galaxy, this glimmer of light against the dark backdrop of a dark outer space galaxy or against the dark empire. And let's talk about that sharp contrast between the light and the dark. Let's talk about that contrast between the hero and the villain. What about Darth Vader? Lucas envisioned him as a dark lord riding on the winds with an evil essence about him. And so to bring to look, uh, to bring this look to life, uh, costume designer John Malo fused elements of various real-life uniforms associated with war and evil into that design. Uh, to design that infamous black helmet, Malo looked to the black shiny helmets that the Nazis wore during World War II. He added a gas mask, a motorcycle suit, black leather boots, and a monk's cloak that he found in the Middle Ages Department of a Costume Warehouse. You talk about setting the stage. You knew Darth Vader was evil before he even opened up a mouth, his mouth to speak. You knew this guy was evil before he even spoke on the screen, and that's not the only element that he used to communicate that evil. Perhaps an even bigger reason you knew Darth Vader was evil was because of the music that played as soon as this character marched out onto the scene, right? Dun, 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 dun. The Imperial March is iconic. John Williams, the legendary composer of the Star Wars films who did all the scores, uh, he borrowed heavily from Chopin's Funeral March, Piano Sonata Number no. 2, to communicate just how deadly that this character was. And you may not recognize it from the title, but do you recognize the tune? Dun, 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 dun. And all of a sudden, this character and his band of stormtroopers, another term, by the way, borrowed from Nazi Germany, all of a sudden they became a walking funeral procession ready to strike down anybody who stood in their path. That might sound like a strange way to begin as we look at Exodus 19 this morning, but just for a minute, I want you to imagine something. Consider the fact that the God of the universe is going to make a public appearance before an audience. He's going to present himself before people uh, for, for the first time. And they're going to have a chance to learn some things about this God. And so God is going to make this appearance in the sight of all people. And imagine him going through his closet of ideas or his catalog of ideas or all these outfits. And this God with limitless power, this God with limitless ability, with limitless resources, he could have chosen anything that he wanted from that limitless power. All those ways that he could have revealed himself, what would he choose? 
In Exodus 19, what form would he take? What outfit would he put on? What kind of message did he want to send? What did he want to communicate to his people? Let's look at Exodus chapter 19. We'll start in verse 3. Exodus 19, verse 3. Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Let's skip down to verse 9. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. So what is that message that God wants to communicate to his people, it's a message of authority. I led you out of Egypt. You saw my authority over Pharaoh. And if you're going to be my people, this is going to be a two-way street. If you're going to be my people, you're going to walk in my ways. You're going to keep my covenant. You're going to obey my voice. You're going to listen to the voice of my servant Moses. And you're going to respect my authority and the authority that I've given to him. That's the message. Now, how's he going to communicate that? How's he going to communicate that to his people? Remember, we got God standing, that picture of God standing in the closet, uh, looking through all those outfits. How will he present himself in order to send that strong message of authority? Look at verse 10. The Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down from Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people, and you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain." or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. And by the way, Moses is told that three times by God in this chapter. He wants to make sure that all the people know the consequences for disobeying God's authority. Verse 13, no hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day, do not go near a woman. We've talked about how God would make an appearance before his people, but notice also that the people are going to make an appearance before God. Israel needed to prepare to meet God. They had to be cleansed and purified in order to stand before him. Now picture this scene, verse 16. On the morning of the third day, this is what you woke up to. There were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, Lord, I'm here. And God answered him in thunder, Moses. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai and to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain. And Moses went up. Can you imagine that scene? Let's skip ahead to verse 18 of chapter 20. When all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. What form will God take? 
how would he present himself? How would he choose to communicate that message of divine authority? Well, he transforms Mount Sinai into a smoking, storming volcano. Thunder and lightning, fire and smoke and a booming voice. And there's this loud, piercing sound of a trumpet, which I find interesting. Nobody in the camp is blowing this trumpet. This is a trumpet that, that's coming from somewhere up above. And trumpets were used in a couple of different ways in the Old Testament. You find, might find this interesting. In Numbers 10, we learn that trumpets were used to sound an alarm. We also see uh, in, in, number, in, the, in the Old Testament that trumpets were used to gather the congregation together. They were, they were used to signify war. This is kind of cool, too. That trumpets were also used uh, in Feast of Gladness. And so you could say that a trumpet could either signify a cause for concern or a cause for celebration. Without getting too far off topic here, I, I, I think it's worth mentioning, I can't help but think about the way that people respond to the sound of the trumpet heard somewhere up above when the Lord once again descends from his mountain. Will that trumpet cause us to celebrate or will it cause us to tremble? The Israelites are scared to death, and they were supposed to be. That's exactly what God was going for. It was the Lord's intention to make this kind of impression on it, on them. That was, that was the way that he dressed for the occasion. Israel needed to be reminded of just who it was they were dealing with here, of just who it was that was leading them. And here in this story, they needed to be reminded, God needed to remind his people by what kind of authority he would give them his commandments. You know, we have that expression about laying down the law. This, this is literally what God is doing. He is getting ready to lay down the law because can you imagine what the scene would look like if God didn't do it this way? From what you know, the Israelites in the Old Testament and the way that they responded to commands, how do you think this could have gone? All they've done when, when, since they left Egypt is complain. I think if Moses had tried to give them the law without this scene, it would have looked something like this. Who does this Moses think that he is? giving us laws like this? Why would he lead us out of Egypt just to give us laws? Does he want to be the new Pharaoh? That's probably what it is. Down with him. That's not the way this story goes. This time, for once, there's no arguing. This time, nobody's complaining. This time, there's no question in their minds about the authority in this story. And then we read in Exodus 20, verses 20 and 21, Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. And the people stood far off, while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Some people would say, you know, fear is not a healthy motivator for people to follow God. I think God would beg to differ. I think he used it pretty effectively here, don't you? Paul said, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. The Hebrew writer said it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. As our time draws to a close, I think there's a lot of really important things that you and I can learn from this story and apply to our lives. Number one, this story serves as a great reminder of God's authority. You know, sometimes we can experience spiritual amnesia. 
we can forget about the God who delivered us time and time again. And that's something Israel dealt with often. They forgot where their last meal came from. They forgot the last miracle that God had performed. They forgot the last enemy that he had delivered them from. We need to stop and marvel at the great power of God. Fire, storms, volcanoes, earthquakes. God didn't temporarily possess a mountain on earth, right? The earth is his, and it still trembles at his voice that he spoke all the way back at creation. The earth is a great reminder of the great authority of God. The reason that God is allowed, put that in quotes, the reason that God is allowed to give us laws today is the same reason that he was allowed to give them back then. He brought us and he bought us out of slavery. He purchased us, people for his own possession. Watch how cool this is. Notice how similar the language and these two passages are to one another, even though they're separated by hundreds of years. This is from the story that we just read. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And then look at 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Sometimes I need to be reminded that I'm not the one who gets to decide what's best for me. I'm not the one who, who makes the laws or makes the rules. God's the lawgiver. And I'm the one who gets to decide whether or not I'm going to submit to him. What else do we learn? Number two, this story reminds us that in the New Testament, God chose to reveal himself in a very different way, in the form of a loving, obedient servant. Hebrews 1 reminds us that long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. At Sinai, he spoke to Moses through this storming, fiery mountain. Verse 2, in these last days he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. When you were a kid, do you remember like going into your parents' closet and maybe walking over, especially if you're a guy, walking over especially to where your dad's side of the closet was? and looking through his things, maybe getting some of his ties and putting those on, or getting his shoes and putting those on your really small feet and trying to walk around in those shoes. I picture Jesus standing in the closet of his father, and he's looking through that limitless catalog, that limitless supply of resources, and he's thinking, how could I dress Consider all the ways that Jesus could have come to us, all the forms that he could have taken, all the identities he could have chosen, the fame, the luxury, the lifestyle, the riches. He could have taken any form he wanted, but how did he choose to reveal himself? In the form of a loving, humble, obedient servant. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, 
but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus, Jesus could have transformed Mount Calvary into Mount Sinai. He could have recreated that scene in the Old Testament where everybody who came around to mock and everybody who came around to spit and everybody who came around to take a shot at him could have been vaporized like that. Stay away. Nobody come near me lest they die. But instead, the congregation broke out against him and he dies. Why? To gather all peoples to himself. For people to draw near to him. To come near to Mount Calvary, not to push people away. Finally, this story reminds us, number three, that we need to be ready for the third day. Be ready for the third day. Did you catch verse 10? The Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all his people. Be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai. Be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord Jesus would come back from the grave and to speak figuratively, you and I need to be ready for the third day when the, the day when Jesus will come back. The day when the Lord's trumpet will sound once again and we must be cleansed and ready to meet him when he descends once more from his mountain on high. I'd like to close with a beautiful and, and heartbreaking statement that I ran across in my study. It comes from uh, Deuteronomy 5 verse 29 where we read a little bit more about the exchange. Deuteronomy is kind of cool because it enlightens us on some areas uh, where the, the law is repeated once more. And we read a little bit more of the exchange between God and the Israelites when they agree to keep his covenant. Here's what God says after Israel agrees to walk in his ways, after they say that they're going to do the things that Moses has put before them. Deuteronomy 5, verse 29. God says this, Oh, that they had a heart, such a heart as this always, to fear me and to keep all my commandments, that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. A heart like this always. You know, sadly, mountaintop experiences come to an end. Moses disappears for 40 days and 40 nights. The people start to wonder what's happened to this guy. They decide to come up with a new plan. They build an idol. They make a golden calf and they turn aside to worship that little G God instead of the God who possesses the mountain of Sinai. I've always thought that, that idol worship is a little weird, right? I, I think when I read the Old Testament, I, I read about when the people would bow down to idols. It's one of the strangest practices uh, for me to think about because we don't see people doing that today, right? I mean, um, like how could people make an image of wood or stone and then bow down to worship it, uh, this thing that they clearly made themselves, you know? Uh, like in the story when, in the story when when Aaron says, "Behold, here are the gods who brought you out of Egypt." Why don't we read about a really cynical Israelite uh, saying, "Like, hey, I'm pretty sure you just made that out of our jewelry. Uh, how how did it lead us out of Egypt if you just now created it? If an idol was a god, why didn't it, it create itself?" What I've come to realize is that 
people still make idols today, it just takes a different form. They don't make them into a cap. Instead, they, they make them into a career. It takes the form of, of another person sometimes. I'm going to do whatever she wants me to do. I'm going to do whatever makes her happy. I'm going to do whatever this person says because that's the most important thing in my life. For some, it takes the form of acceptance. I'm willing to do whatever, uh, whatever it takes so long as people like me. I'm going to do whatever it takes so long as people will accept me. If they like me, then I'm good. It takes the form of money. Money will deliver me from all my problems. I just need to make more of it. If I bow down to money, it would, it would fix this and this, and, and people build their lives around money. The problem with idols is they don't last, they don't deliver, and they aren't the real thing. Mountaintop experiences come to an end. We go back to our tents, back to our old lives, back to our old habits, back to the idols that we were called to leave behind. But may we have hearts such as this always, hearts that are reminded of the awesome God at Mount Sinai and the awesome God at Mount Calvary. This morning, are you prepared to meet God? There will come a day when we will meet him. Will we be ready? Are you dressed for the occasion? Have you put on Christ in baptism? It would be awesome to see you make that decision today. Or have you turned aside to an idol, something that's clearly not God, but you've made it into one by continually bowing down to it and giving into it instead of the God who wants you to make him the God of your life? If we can pray for you, we can encourage